Welcome back to Thinking About It. And we're in the studio here today with uh, our producer, Andrew Noble. You're becoming quite regular here, Andrew. <coughs> Excuse my cough. And then uh, Dave Barker, who uh, is a regular as well. And we talk about things, we think about things, don't always get solutions. But we do want to think about our response to an article that we've been reading on just practical ways that churches who desire to be multicultural, as they should, um, how do you bring that about? How, how can leaders make the church more welcoming to people from the different nationalities without giving away the store, whatever that means? So this article just kind of got us thinking about um, things that we haven't thought about. And if you don't think about them, you send a message to people that, uh, they're, that they can come, but they're not really welcome into the life of the church. Uh, I don't think anyone means to do that, so you have to be intentional to um, lower those barriers or eliminate them altogether and be welcoming. So, so Dave, in your experience, um, what, have, what has your experience taught you about the, the multicultural character of the church? Have you, have you dealt with that much uh, in London? Yeah, I did a little bit. Um, <laughs> Uh, we had, uh, well, it's not so much the church in London. I had the opportunity to speak at a couple of churches that don't have English as their first language. Mm-hmm. And so they were very careful. I was able to preach in English and they translated. This is a little bit different, but I, the church in, in London at Central Baptist Church, uh, we had a fairly significant deaf community. Mm-hmm. And so every Sunday... Uh, morning and night, we used to, back in the evening services days, um, we had uh, translators uh, happening. And there would be a group of about maybe five, six, eight people being translated for. So I think the first step we need to think about is, all right, if we're going to hold our services in English and we want to embrace those who are, <coughs> uh, have other mm-hmm. first languages, we need to think seriously about what it is to do simultaneous translation while we're going. That's a, it's an effort a cost mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. but it takes seriously the notion that uh, yeah. that we're we're interested in in people from every tongue tribe and nation right and that's kind of what we're driving at here i was at a uh, our, our church like many in our city just because of the dynamics of our city the the ethnicity of our city is changing so i mean if your doors are open at all you're going to get people coming mm-hmm. without any effort just at least they'll come into the door so, um, for that reason, and maybe some intentionality, our church looks very different now. And I, I said to one lady at a Chinese supper that the Chinese ministry people had, which is another question, how does that contribute to multiculturalism when you've got the different cultures in their own little silos doing things? But that's, well, maybe we'll deal with that later. So I was at this Chinese dinner, about 50 people there, and I said to, to one of the ladies, um, is Grandview a multicultural church in your eyes? Um, should we put in our um, marketing, our imaging, something to the effect that Grandview Church, a church for the nations, a multicultural church, does that need to be said? Is that the messaging that would draw people the way we want to? And she said, you don't need to do that. It is what it is. You know, people come... And they see that it's multicultural. You don't need to put that on your 
on your letterhead or on mm. your sign that the nations are welcome. I thought that was an interesting response. Um, it's a little bit of uh, oversell under under uh, produce. Yeah, you, we we could lean in that direction. This is what we say we are, but when we get here, maybe we're not quite so much right. as we think we are. So surprise people pleasantly, or maybe disappoint or not. Yeah, disappoint people <laughs> unpleasantly. Mm-hmm. Well, and the perception, like at least in North America, if you look at the demographical trends, you see that the the greatest segregation, at least if you look at visible mm-hmm. <coughs> differences in demographics, black and white, the biggest, you know, segregation that currently exists is Sunday morning in America. Have you have you been reading have you been reading Philip Yancey? Yancey said that what? 20 years ago? Yeah. The and biggest moment the of segregation is on a Sunday morning. Did he I've say not that? Been that? Maybe I got it from you. We I don't know. Maybe. It's just, I remember looking at the data and being like, oh, that's, that's sad. Yeah. You know? But of course, he, he was writing from a southern U.S. perspective yeah. where you've got the segregation really strong uh-huh. down right. there, right? Right. In terms of black and white. But I, yeah, it, it, we have to be really careful, you know, and to put it on our headlines. We are a multicultural, mm-hmm. multinational, multination church. When when you're not, maybe not you want so to much. be, but you're not. Yeah, well, so you don't want to. Some of the practical steps, sorry, of like singing songs in multiple yeah. languages. Like mm-hmm. we've had that a few times, and I've I've yeah. teared up. You yeah. know, just hearing a song mm-hmm. in this beautiful Latin voice. Yeah. And and I and I'm kind of singing along cuz the words are on the screen which is kind of nice to participate in someone else's culture. Right. Yeah. Cuz I think we're always doing that. Mm-hmm. In Canada there's so many cultures that we're constantly navigating between some grocery stores, some restaurants, some this, some that. You're getting all this great culture and you're trying to fit in. Yeah. Do I stand? Do I sit? Do yeah. I do the And if there's a culture on the Sunday morning and I think we in some ways, we want a, mm-hmm. a united culture mm-hmm. around Christ, and yet a diverse culture yeah. at the same time. I've been to a number of churches that they'll—I remember this one church, wonderful church. Um, they called themselves the International Church, and I go there. Everyone's Filipino, right? So, but they call themselves international. And I thought, oh, okay, that's a, an interesting. I mean, it's it's certainly not Caucasian. So it's something, I, and I, I just love being there, but I, was the only, I made it international. I was the only one there. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I'm kind of aware of this desire that, that churches have, that they want to be that way. But unless certain steps are made, you're not going to be that way. But I think we need to be honest in the sense that we can never be totally multicultural or international in that sense because we, our services are in English. And that's a distinctive of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so you can't get past the fact that we are an English-speaking church, or at least Grandview is, and that the church you went to was probably mm-hmm. speaking Mandarin, or and that was their language. Um, the churches I've been to uh, from uh, the Persian community, speaking Farsi. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got that base layer going on, you don't have multi-languages happening automatically. can't happen unless you've got Although really we have a Spanish translation going on now, which well, just starts in, in January. I, I think that's fantastic. And how wide are, you gonna, are we going to go with that? Well, yeah. as wide as we need to and maybe wider than we think we should, right? And if you've got people who are competent to translate mm-hmm. simultaneously, 
then why not do it? Yeah. I, I, I think it's a fabulous yeah. idea. See, if you've got an iPhone, I mean, we've got a system that just uses phone technology. <coughs> Dave, you're an um, Old Testament prof. Well, what's the theological foundation for the necessity of churches to think multiculturally, even if, even if it's not convenient? You know, how important is it that we be mindful hmm. of From the nations? From an Old Testament perspective? Yeah. Wow. Well, for one thing, they weren't multilingual. They were speaking Hebrew. Right. And, uh, and it was very interesting. In the Old Testament, everybody was drawn into Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you hit the New Testament, it's now everybody pushes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the earth, right? But was the everybody in the Old Testament, was it ever the nations, or was it, or, or was it just the tribes? No, no. It was, they, they had the call to be the blessing to the nations. Yeah. Uh, Exodus 19, they were to be a priest to the nations, the story of Jonah is yeah. a classic story of their failure to, to do their international work to take Yahweh, the, the message of Yahweh and the God Yahweh into the nations. But it was always a spin inwards to Jerusalem mm-hmm. uh, to be the theocratic center of the world. So right? should Jerusalem have been like Pentecost, a place where the nations gathered to Yahweh and, and worship Yahweh because of the faithfulness of, of the Jewish priests who have gone out? I mean, was that ever part of the visioning of, of the people of God to be that way? I know it never happened. Well, I would say it was part of the vision of God yeah. to, to have it that way. I don't think the nation did it all that no. well, and that's why you've got the story of Jonah. as It's a true story, by the way, but it's a parable to teach... Uh, Jerusalemites and Judeaites mm-hmm. and others, Southern Kingdom in particular, their massive failure in having that mission. Mm-hmm. Even thinking about the Tower of Babel, I've heard some think of the Tower of Babel as, okay, it's building a city in one location mm-hmm. rather than filling the earth. Right. So there is that kind of propulsion mm-hmm. outward, yep. even in Genesis 1. Right, right. And, and that was clearly an attempt to to be a nation unto itself and not obey the cultural mandate to fill the earth, to rule the earth, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, then when Israel became a nation, they then had a mandate, Abraham, right? They were to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, and then the Exodus 19, you were to be a priest to the nations. So while the spread happened after Babel, you've got the call to bring them and be have them become Yahweh worshippers centered around Jerusalem. And I, I would think that probably when it was being done well, it was very diverse in language and culture. As, uh, so, I, you know, it's interesting, and I know this is not Old Testament, but it's, it's, it's in the shift from Old Covenant to New Covenant. What about the, uh, <coughs> the Ethiopian no- noble, right, or the Ethiopian eunuch? What language he, was he speaking? Was he speaking whatever he was speaking? I, don't, I doubt he was speaking Hebrew, mm-hmm. right? And here he was coming to Jerusalem to worship. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of an indication that some of that may actually have been happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realize you've got to project backwards a little bit, but... I wonder what language Philip spoke, or how did that, how did that work? I know, that's... Fa- was now, he, he reading Hebrew? I don't know. Probably, I don't know. I have no idea. Or, or maybe Greek. 
even the fact that it's stated in scripture like Ethiopian, like Luke didn't have to add that detail. No, he didn't. He clearly had something in mind by saying, well, Ethiopia, that's where this guy's. And Luke was a Gentile himself, right? So he's come into the faith somehow in some way Mm -hmm. through the outreach of of a a uh, Jerusalem-based faith. Mm -hmm. Now, Bob, can I put you on the spot for a second? You already, yes, what? (laughs) You don't always wear clothing. You wear clothing, but you don't always wear stereotypically North American clothing on Sundays. Right. Can you unpack your reasoning, your thought process behind Well, like practically speaking, I put on a few pounds, and some of these uh, international <laughs> clothes cover a multitude of sins, so they're very comfortable to wear, the, uh, the brongs from, uh, from the Philippines, for instance. But um, you know, I thought about that. Am I being condescending um, in wearing something like that? Am I? But they give me the stuff, right? They, they love it when they see their pastor wearing something that they wore, these... So I wear that in not just to be trendy or to showcase multiculturalism, even though I think it does, but I'm graciously receiving gifts that are given to me, and so I, I wear them. And I've got this... We've got time? We're out of time. We've got time. We've got two more minutes. This uh, Chinese family, they got me this incredible uh, royal Chinese upper garment, right? They had to try three times to get it to fit me, by the way. But it's, it's beautiful. And I said, when can I wear this? And so I wore it at, the, at this dinner uh, last week, and I'm going to wear it at the Chinese um, New Year we have at church. But when I, when I wear this, they all gather around me, and they want to take a picture, and they just, just love it. And the others look on, and it's a joyful time when uh, people see ethnicity being featured and celebrated so i'll three or four times a year i'll wear something like that mm-hmm. for those reasons yeah there's a f- however there is a term for this right it's called cultural appropriation and you have uh, to be careful got to be really careful be. with that I, we but had a prime minister that yeah. do something like that and it was not received well yeah, yes. but i i think you're doing it the right way bob in the sense that this is a community that has affirmed this mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and celebrating it and so you are responding to their uh impulse their their request to yeah you know connect with them in this way and i would say fantastic way yeah, to go. so far so good that's how i feel about it well, um, Dave, we are out of time. Uh, we had a lot more to talk about. But if you want to just uh, send us a message about the subject, we'd be glad to hear it. Till next time, I'm Bob with Dave. And Andrew. Bye-bye.